0: This podcast is brought to you by Hound. Hound comments on style violations and GitHub pull requests, allowing you and your team to better review and maintain a clean code base. Try it now at HoundCI.com. Giant robot smashing into other giant robots. This is the Giant Robot Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast. I'm your host, Chad Pytel. And with me today is Anne Halsall, co-founder and chief product officer of Winnie. Anne, thanks for joining me
1: thanks so much for having me.
0: So what is Winnie for those (laughs) listening?
1: Yeah, Winnie, um, we like to call it the companion app for parents. When we first started the company, we had the idea in our head that parenting is is a real job and we didn't see a big ecosystem of software tools to help people do that job. So we wanted to sort of Originally had this idea that we would build technology to help parents solve their problems. Mm -hmm. And the thing that stood out as a very common theme um, was navigating the physical world with your kids in tow. So my co-founder had at the time, you know, just had a baby and she was asking me things like, you know, where can I take the stroller? How do I leave the house with the baby? Where is the baby welcome? Where can I nurse my baby? Where can I change a diaper? And that information isn't really in any local database like Yelp or Google Maps or, or any of those um, pre-existing ones. So we set out to create our own. And that was kind of the first thing that we set out to do with Winnie, was to map the physical world for people with children. And that was almost two years ago. Um, mm-hmm. So that was when Sarah and I set out to create the company. We launched the first version of the iPhone app uh, in June of 2016. So it's been about a year and a half in the market.
0: So how did you know each other before starting to work together?
1: We worked together at Postmates. So mm-hmm. I joined Postmates as a product designer, and she was the director of product at the time. And she was heavily pregnant. And I had just had my second child, Felix. And so we kind of immediately hit it off as the moms in the office. We we're actually kind of the only young moms at the company. <laughs> and... That's not uncommon in the world of tech startups that this kind of like you and like one other mom. Mm -hmm. And so that was one thing that we bonded over right from the beginning. And then she's also just, you know, she's an amazing product leader. And I had been told by lots of people that I should, you know, try to work with her because she's so great. And so I kind of set my sights on her as someone that I wanted to work with and get to know really well and learn from. But then she went out on maternity leave so i didn't actually work with her very much before we started winning it was very intuitive i think i think both of us just kind of had a good feeling about each other so it's kind of crazy but we like quit our jobs and we took the leap to do this together without knowing a lot about each other
0: did you quit before you had funding
1: oh yeah we spent a few months working on it and thinking about things before we went out to raise money and then when we did raise money, it was really just like a small friends and family um, kind of mm-hmm. get us started uh, pre-seed round. And it was enough to hire one employee to get started working on the app.
0: So it was a developer that you hired as your first.
1: Yes. So I was building the iPhone app and my, my co-founder is actually also technical. She has a degree in computer science from MIT. So she was working on the back end and we had an advisor who was helping us with early infrastructure And um, our first hire was basically our full stack developer Mm -hmm. who kind of took responsibility for helping the system that we were building, which has a lot of backend services. There's data, there's um, three client applications, iOS, Android, and web. And so we knew we needed someone early on who was going to have the idea of how all those pieces would fit together.
0: Mm -hmm. What would you say that were some of the early things that you did intentionally that are maybe a little bit different or you feel like are the defining characteristics of how you went about your product and your team?
1: Yeah. uh, So one very intentional decision early on that's reflected in both the product and the brand was that we did not want to build an app for moms. So one thing that we felt like was really problematic about, you know, the apps that do exist um, and the websites that do exist that offer resources to parents, a lot of them are really like, they're really pink. (laughs) They're Mm -hmm. really like, there's mom in the name. There's mom branding involved. And we felt like that was a little out of place for our generation of parents. You know, if you look at especially millennial parents, this is also true of of Gen X parents. A lot of dads are now primary caretakers or expect to be um, at some point. And, the reason for that, I think, has something to do with, you know, just general social progressivism. And it's now kind of more okay for dads to be primary caretakers and be involved parents. But also it's the case that, like, the job market is really different now than it was maybe mm-hmm. 50 years ago. You don't sign up for a company and have a job for 30 years. And so modern families, the parents are are getting a lot more practical <laughs> about balancing childcare mm-hmm. responsibilities and providing for the family. And you'll see, like... I'll talk to, to younger parents today, and they'll say things like, well, you know, my wife is finishing her degree, and so I think she's gonna make more money than me, and so I'll probably take care of the kids for a while. And the thing that's notable about that is that like those caregivers, they don't have access to a lot of these traditional information networks. Like, mm-hmm. prior to technology, I think the way a lot of people got information about parenting and and where you can take your kids and what you do with your kids, was from mother's groups, or, or you had a full-time stay-at-home right. mom who was out networking with other full-time stay-at-home moms. So they kind of had these information networks that were revolved around um, the stay-at-home parent. There's no more stay-at-home parent. The majority of American families don't have one. So the thing that we felt was really important was not only that we democratize the information, so get it online, make it organized, make it searchable, have a great app, because this is how people like interface with information these days. But also to make a real statement with our brand that not every parent is a biological parent, not all parents are married, not all parents are moms. (laughs) There's a lot of primary caregivers who are grandparents or aunts and uncles. There's like incredible amount of diversity in the way that American families are organized and how they're getting stuff done. And we wanted a, a brand that really spoke to that. So, you know, we chose the name Winnie, which is actually both a male or female name. Um, so it's a gender-neutral name, and we're very careful in all of our marketing materials to always speak to the parent generally, mm-hmm. or a caregiver, or a person who cares for a child, versus you know this is an app for moms.
0: Yeah, you were really deliberate about this, and it sounds like it comes from a values sort of based decision, or mm-hmm. or, or where you were coming from. But did you did you do any and it's okay if the answer is no, I'm genuinely curious, any validation around that idea? Or was it like, this is what we're going to do, it's where our values are, and it doesn't matter whether it's validated in the market or not.
1: Validated in what way, I'm just curious.
0: Well, I can envision a scenario where it's like, someone you would tell that strategy to, and they're like, well that's not a good strategy that's gonna lead you to most successful, because most people, they would argue and say, most people are moms, and there's a reason why all these other things are pink, and those kinds of things. Did you? And like I said, it's okay if the answer is no. (laughs) But did you do any formal market research or interviews or that kind of thing to make sure that you were headed in the right direction with the gender-neutral, inclusive strategy?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we definitely had done and have done in an ongoing fashion market research in particular with regards to millennial parents who are like now, 90% of new parents are in the millennial generation. It's like kind of crazy. This is a really important moment, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is a generation of people who grew up with technology in their lives. They're accustomed to it solving all their problems. They're the biggest consumers of apps, and now they're having kids. And I think like that generation is, is very interesting to us because like that's the one I think that will pick up an app and use it to help them be a more successful parent and in fact expects to do that. I I did when I had my children. I had trouble breastfeeding my first and and I remember being on the app store like where is the app for this? Like where is the app that will help yeah. me do this? And I don't I don't even remember like asking my mom. I don't think I even bothered. Like I just went straight to the app store. That's like the very millennial mindset that yeah. I had. But yeah, so one thing that we definitely have looked at is the demographic makeup of families in this generation. Um, we've also surveyed people extensively. So we did surveys against particular demographics uh, of parents in the early days to just kind of get a sense of what their information needs were and what their family makeup was like. Um, we talked to our users all the time. So we had an early beta. Mm-hmm. And from that early interest la- list, we even observed that like half of our users were men. I mean, it was amazing. Mm-hmm. We just put out there this very vague, Kind of value proposition. This was before we even knew what we were building. And it was like, we're going to build technology that will help parents This is basically like what we said we would do. And it was super big. And we had a little, you know, enter your email list or enter your email address form. And on that interest list, it was it was half men. It was a lot of dads. Mm-hmm. Um, I think dads in some ways are like a great audience for this product because moms, I think, still do have more of those in-person support networks and are, are maybe less likely to need um, an information product to help. Mm-hmm. But dads really don't. And we found like all sorts of interesting trends. People were saying that they wanted to be able to support their wife more and they saw themselves doing research as one way to support their wives. And we have dads who say like, well, I'm the one who comes up with stuff to do on the weekends. That's my job and the family. Yeah. Um, and, mm-hmm. and Winnie is great for that. So
0: yeah.
1: Yeah, I was, I remember being at a friend's party and there were all the kids running around and all the dads were standing around and they were like telling me how much they love Winnie because that's where they found all the playgrounds and it made them feel like they were contributing, active contributing partners yeah. in their, in their parenting partnership. And, from that, I actually kind of got to dig in to something I observed that I think is a really interesting phenomenon, is that I think this is also pretty closely tied to the sense of masculinity in these dads. This is opposite of what you might think, right? That they actually are mm-hmm. associating successful fatherhood and being a good involved father as like a positive trait of masculinity, whereas I think even 30 years ago that wouldn't have been the case. But there is definitely a market out there of dads who want to be good parents and want to be involved fathers. And we saw that very early on in in our surveys and mm-hmm. in our interviews with users. And as Winnie grew, we just kept an eye on the demographic. And we were like, OK, is it shifting to be more moms? Are we maintaining our cohort of dads? And we still do have an active group of dads on the platform. And we still do find that we get dads interested in and in downloading Winnie. And, and I think that's the proof. <laughs> I remember talking to someone who ran a site for dads who was telling me that in actuality, a lot of his readers were women. And he was like, I think you're going to mm-hmm. find out that like the audience is going to skew towards women and despite the progressive value of wanting dads to be involved, you're going to find that it's going to be mostly women. And I was prepared to accept that if it was in fact true. Um, But we've actually found that hasn't been the case. Our audience Mm -hmm. of dads has kept up. It's no longer 50-50. It's more like 25-75. As we've Mm -hmm. grown, we've definitely grown faster with moms. But I don't don't think that the gender-neutral brand play was a mistake at all because I would not have wanted to walk away from even that 25%.
0: So as you've progressed, have there been times where you had an idea for something and believed it was the right thing, and then but then when you started to do it or or when you started to talk to people, it turned out well, maybe we got this slightly wrong. Mm,
1: that's a good question. We definitely started out with one mistaken assumption. We knew that like we wanted to sort of map the world for parents. We wanted to help people find you know family friendly businesses, places to play, childcare sort of thing but we started with restaurants because we're like okay you know people like they're interested to find restaurants that are family-friendly they have a changing table you can fit a stroller in there there's a kid's menu there's high chairs Mm -hmm. it just seemed like there was a lot of interesting data to capture about restaurants but that actually turned out to be not a killer feature like the ability to find a family-friendly restaurant is great but it wasn't like a first order problem that we were solving for people. And we saw that people were were far more likely to be searching for things to do with their children, like just generally places to play uh-huh. activities, um, enrichment, and of course, childcare. Um, and we didn't even have childcare coverage at uh-huh. the start. So that was something we kind of had to turn around and build in response to the demand that we saw. Um, and looking back on it, it seems like kind of an ODA thing, like people really do need childcare, that is a first order problem so that they can work. And I think it was partially because, you know, my co founder and I are in San Francisco, we're headquartered in San Francisco, both a city with a large foodie population, but also a city where a lot of people have nannies, as opposed to daycares. But when you get outside city limits, then there's quite a bit of interest in daycares. And and that's where most people, you know, have their child care arrangements are at daycares. Mm -hmm. Um, So we turned around and and we made it a priority to list the daycares.
0: Great. Was there other things when you were starting out that you looked at each other as co-founders and said, you know, based on our prior experiences at companies or something like this is what we want our company to be in a different way?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, my, my co-founder and I both come from the Silicon Valley startup world. Um, I was an early employee at Quora, another startup called Inkling that did educational technology. She worked at Twitter um, and YouTube in the early days and, and of course, Postmates, was a startup. So we kind of had, had done this circuit of Silicon Valley startups. And one of the things that seemed like really profound to us was that Due to, I think, in part, uh, a very young workforce and also a very male workforce, there wasn't a lot built into the company culture that was supportive of families. Mm-hmm. So as soon as we had children, it was this culture shock. You, you no longer can like go get drinks after work with the boss who wants to have a happy hour or whatever. Right. And you have to go home and get your kid out of childcare. And like that wasn't something that. We really saw about the industry we worked in until we had our own children. And then we realized kind of how profound an epidemic it was that it's pretty tough to work at a startup and, and have children. The, the work-life balance is one issue. And, and I think there's other cultural issues. Things mm-hmm. like doing stuff after work or going on like long offsites sites or – even going to conferences where if you have children, now that involves a childcare cost and kind of everything just changes when you have children. But the companies are very much oriented towards this younger workforce. So it was important to us that we start off from the beginning with things that we felt were family-friendly arrangements. Like we are set up for remote work, um, we're set up for flexible hours, you know, we do kind of have our chunk of office hours during the day where we're all online and working, but, you know, we're we're open to people working outside those hours if mm-hmm. they need to, moving their hours around to accommodate things like caregiving um, or even just like self-care. And I, I think that was something we had from the very beginning and it was baked into our process. We, we do everything on Slack. Slack is like the best tool for this um, because it's asynchronous and there's a history that's searchable. So... When everyone is communicating in Slack, I think you have so much more flexibility with your team and the hours that everyone is working, and it's easier to coordinate things over distances. So that was important and was a big part of the statement we wanted to make with our company culture, that mm-hmm. like, we understand you have responsibilities outside work, whether it's a, a child or a spouse or a, a mother or or whatever, yeah. um, and we want you to be able to both do your job well. Um, And also attend to those responsibilities. And we also just kind of forego the Silicon Valley excesses Um, that tech companies are known for. We try to pay people competitive salaries and give them good benefits, but we don't have food at the office. You know, aside from light snacks and coffee, we we don't, you know, have Mm -hmm. like catering or anything like that.
0: So you have an office and a remote team?
1: Yes. So we have a humble, very humble office in San Francisco in the Mission that's actually where most of our team works. We have one remote employer right now who lives in um, Indiana. Mm-hmm. And we were actually prepared for it to be more, but it, it just happened to be the case that when we made our hires, like most of them were local people or turned mm-hmm. out to be
0: local people. But there's flexibility around working from home then. So if, if you have you have an obligation or whatever, people say, I'm working from home today. Is that how is that how you do it?
1: That's how we do it. And many of us work from home one day a week. Mm -hmm. The other thing that happened was that my co-founder last year, her husband was diagnosed with a very aggressive form of cancer. And so she just disappeared. Right. You know, she was working Mm -hmm. from hospitals and taking him to the emergency room in the middle of the night. And just like this was while we were launching the first version of the app. And so we basically benefited from having this flexible arrangement because like when she had an emergency and she needed to not be in the office because her husband was in chemo Mm -hmm. and and there were all sorts of complications, you know, she was able to do that, but still be a part of the team and, and still help us. And so I was I think that like situations like that too are a great example of why like setting up the infrastructure for remote work can be helpful, even when you have everyone in the office. Right. Because like you never know, someone may need to, you right. know, take some time um to be away from the office and, and then it turns out to be very easy to accommodate that.
0: How did things turn out with that situation?
1: Oh, he is okay. He's that's great. Three.
0: That's good to hear. <laughs> yes.
1: Yes, um, they were able to treat it successfully. And in fact, they're now expecting their second child. So great. Um, the whole situation has a happy ending. <laughs>
0: good, good. I know in my experience, it's times like that where like, your values really do get tested. <laughs> and every time that's come up for me or my team, it's always been like, we have to understand what's important here. And life <laughs> and ourselves are more important than our product. Or what we're working on right now, our work. Um, so take the time you need, do what you need to do. Um, but I, I imagine it was a pretty critical time for the company.
1: Yes, especially for my co-founder, but for all of us, um, it did drive the point home very effectively that like what what is actually important, right? Of course, your family is more important than than anything. It's more important than the company. It's more important than mm. you know our startup or whatever. And everyone was on board with that, and everyone acknowledged it. And that was actually wonderful, and and I, I mean, I, I'm filled with nothing but respect for her that she kept working on Winnie through that mm-hmm. situation, and she did because I would have completely understood if she'd stepped down. Mm-hmm. I would have completely understood it, but you know, she took a little bit of time off and she came back when when Eric was in treatment, and you know, was basically like, I really want to do this, and I really want this product to exist, and I think that is one of the nice things, at least for us, about working on this particular product, is that we feel like we're creating the platform or creating the product where parents who are in bad situations can find the help that they need. Mm -hmm. And it's something that we feel really passionate about. So in some ways, it was validating, because Mm -hmm. I think she found that even when things got really bad, and she could have stepped away from the company, um, she felt like she needed to see Winnie mm-hmm. get into the world, and mm-hmm. she came back and kept working on it. It was definitely quite a bonding moment for us as founders, just to know that like that we were really in it and really committed to mm-hmm. it, both
0: of us. Well, given that particular thing and you mentioned benefits and health insurance and everything, when you were starting out, how did you all navigate that as a team? Did you have someone helping you set that up? Was it you know your investors giving you pointers? How, how did that happen?
1: Um, well, health insurance was an easy choice. Um, we mm-hmm. went with Gusto <laughs> um, because they're, uh, you know, a portfolio company of our lead investors, but also an amazing, amazing product for mm-hmm. small businesses. But no, I mean, honestly, I think it has never been easier to start a company. <laughs> like There is so much out there to help you bootstrap all of this stuff. hmm. And there's like a there's a startup helping us with our accounting. Gusto is a startup that's managing our benefits mm-hmm. and, and payroll. And there's startups that will help you with like legal stuff. I mean, there's yeah. there's like a startup for everything. There's a yeah. service for everything. Yeah. So in some ways it was not too hard.
0: So what is the accounting company doing for you?
1: So that this is actually a very early stage startup that um, is run by one of our investors. Okay. Um, so we're kind of a test subject for their product, and they're basically in exchange for us testing their their service, oh, they're
0: okay. doing our books. Cool. <laughs> so they do the books and manage the day to day accounting.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we just forward receipts, and you know mm-hmm. stuff is taken care of. Um, cool which is really great because yeah. we were really bad at that. We tried to do it ourselves, actually. I really okay. don't recommend that. <laughs> really, really don't recommend that because we yeah. did everything wrong. So we, we then had a task to like clean up all the yeah. bad yeah, bookkeeping. But yeah, um, that was that was really helpful, um, although we just kind of got lucky with that one.
0: Mm-hmm. But it does sound like your, your investors have been somewhat of a help in that, in that you're using Gusto, you're using the, the, this other mm-hmm. company at least Mm -hmm. in providing pointers to what to use.
1: That's right, yeah. Yeah. And that's definitely one of the benefits of of taking venture capital. is you kind of have access then to these networks.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I recommend that people um, have someone doing the bookkeeping as well instead of trying to do it yourself at the beginning because as you've probably found and we found as well, like you end up with spending more time or money fixing the problems that you create yourself than if you had just taken it on to begin with
1: oh yeah that definitely turned out to be true for us i think we had something we ended up paying five thousand dollars in penalties Mm -hmm. for something that we did wrong it was it was not worth it we should have just gotten an accountant at the beginning
0: so now you've gotten to the point where you've launched uh, you said about a year and a half ago that's right so what what point are you at now as a team as a company as a product
1: yeah we're (laughs) growing really fast uh it's been a very crazy year When we launched the app, it was iOS only, and it was a very, very early version of our product. We spent about six months iterating on it just as an iOS app. At the same time, we hired an Android developer and to get us going on Android. So early in 2017, we launched the Android app. And right around that time is when we shipped uh, the 2.0 version of the iOS app, which was kind of like our first major iteration on the product. We changed it to be more feed-based instead of map-based. There's always something new to look at when you open the app. Now um, there were some other changes to it where we help people find more relevant information. Then there was a big change where we actually allowed users to, you know, have discussions and conversations about any topic instead of just stuff that was like local, because um, we found that a lot of people were coming on and talking about stuff that wasn't necessarily only applicable in their area, like they Mm -hmm. kind of wanted advice getting their kid to sleep or they were having trouble breastfeeding and and needed help with that. And so we saw that as a leading indicator that there was maybe demand for a product that wasn't local or it wasn't as local. It was a little bit more of a forum. So we made changes early in 2017 um, to better support that in the product. And the product then also had much more of a community feel. Uh, and you're you're interacting with other people more. And that really clicked. And that was when we saw that things really started to blow up in terms of growth. From the beginning of, of 2017, when it was still just the one app, now we have a fully featured Android app. So that unlocked another channel for growth. And we also have a web app now. So that unlocked a third channel. And all that came together. And then basically all this year, we've been like doubling in size every month. And that's brought its own problems where we now kind of have to deal with issues of scale, community issues and moderation. Um, so we've been very focused on content quality and making sure that everything that's going on in inside Winnie is useful and informative and high quality. And as all those people have joined, the product's also gotten like 5,000 times better because mm-hmm. – That's the thing that we had imagined from the beginning, this crowdsourced aspect of the product is what makes it magical. You're hearing the opinions of other parents who maybe live near you, have kids the same age as your kids, people who are like you in similar situations to you. Uh, And that's really powerful, like knowing that the people who also have two-year-old son like really enjoy this park that has like a – a train jungle gym and like the train yeah. themed jungle gym they really love that sort of thing is is like the magical experience of Winnie and that happens when we've actually got people in there posting stuff mm-hmm. so now it i feel like the product delivers on its value proposition much more so not only have we been growing but we've been retaining people much better now that we have more and more people in the system because the product's just more useful mm-hmm. um so it's it's really a virtuous cycle and this is like a classic network effect product thing. When yeah. when the product gets better, the more people use it. This is that flywheel just kind of starting to kick in. Mm-hmm. And that's been like really, really rewarding. It feels like we have to hustle a lot less for every new user and that we're focused more on, on now delivering value to those people.
0: Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, you mentioned that you took funding to get started, but we mm-hmm. haven't talked about how Winnie actually makes money. If it does. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, how how does Winnie make money if it does?
1: It doesn't. We're pre revenue. (laughs) No, we're venture backed. So, Mm -hmm. we raised a large seed of $2.5 million in um, 2016. And, you know, we basically wanted to buy ourselves two years of operating time to get the platform started and get to the point where we were growing and like feeling like we had proven that this was a product that belonged in the market and would be successful. We will definitely raise money again to give ourselves even more time because Mm -hmm. it's important to us that Winnie always be free to parents. We have a few reasons for that. I mean, one is that part of our original mission is the democratization of this information. So you don't have to Mm -hmm. be in some fancy like Palo Alto mothers group to get the information that's available to everybody. And I think keeping the product free is important for that. But it's also like a crowdsourced platform. And as I mentioned before, we we have the network effect where the product gets better, the more people use it. So we don't want to limit growth. Like We want it to be as big as possible. Ideally, every parent has it and uses it. So if we believe that's best for the product, then it's it's important that we do whatever we can to keep it free and kind of defer m- monetization until we're like large enough that we can turn on things yeah. like advertising or working with local partners and things like that.
0: So we have a, a variety of people listen, some do their own companies or are thinking about it and bootstrapping or raising money. Like at the point you're at now, like, do you even think about what is this gonna look like when we need to monetize it? Or is it not even like on your roadmap?
1: Oh, and I definitely do think about it. And I I think if you don't have a business model, you're doing yourself a real disservice. I think it's important to know what that is from the very beginning.
0: Okay, so you feel like you know what your business model is or will be, and you're working towards getting to there.
1: Right, and our business model relies on a very large audience. So getting to the point where we can start monetizing involves getting really big, which is why we focus all of our resources on growth.
0: So you raise money for about a two year runway, so that means you're coming up on that time frame, right?
1: That's right, yeah. We yeah. are probably going to be doing it next
0: year. And are you worried about that? Are you looking forward to it? <laughs> uh, was it easy the first time? <laughs>
1: No one ever looks forward to it, you know, especially not like a product person like me. I just want to work on the product and make it great Mm -hmm. and stay heads down on it. Um, And going out and selling the company is not super fun.
0: How engaged were you in that the first time around?
1: It was very engaged. I mean, Mm -hmm. I I think investors do expect to meet, especially the serious ones um, do expect to meet um, both founders. So, Mm
0: -hmm. you
1: know, I would go and participate in pitches which was actually a fantastic educational experience, something I'm really grateful to have had the opportunity to do. And we had a good experience fundraising the first time around. I would not say it was easy. It was not. I think that the climate is very different now than it was even five or 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Not in a bad way. I think that the bar is a lot higher, especially for consumer products. The expectations for traction, the expectations for you know the effectiveness of your business model, the uniqueness of your business model there is a lot of proof that is needed i think to successfully raise especially in the later rounds so what does that mean for us it means that we want to show really great traction mm-hmm. and show that we actually do have a really interesting consumer app in the post facebook post twitter world where some people may even say like there there never will be another successful consumer mm-hmm. internet company which i think is ridiculous <laughs> um is. i think is ridiculous i think that that is definitely a Failure of imagination to think yeah. that that no one will ever be a Facebook. But that I mean, that is one of the mindsets that you have to, you know, be prepared to offer your counterpoint to. Um, and the, the most powerful argument you can make is traction. Mm-hmm. It's it's very hard to ignore data that indicates that the market loves your product, that the market wants your product, that your product can grow, your product delivers value over time. Yeah. And so that's basically what we want to be prepared to bring. And that actually does align with our interests in giving a great product to our users mm-hmm. because we know when he is better than more people use it.
0: So as you look ahead to that next fundraising round, the one you've done so far, you you described as a large seed round. How are you thinking about this next round yet? Do you have a sense of that?
1: Not yet. And we don't even have a timetable. Mm -hmm. You know, we we feel like our momentum is really good right now. We expect that we're going to feel like the timing will be right early Mm -hmm. in the year, but I think a lot depends on where we're at in a few months. And I think it's still a little early to be predicting how that's going to go.
0: Now, how active are your current investors in that? Are you getting advice or not just in the fundraising aspects of future rounds, but in terms of like, do you have a board? Do you talk to them regularly? Do you ask them for advice? What's your interaction with your investors like?
1: We do have a board. Um, so Homebrew is the fund that led our seed round. And their thing is that they're very involved, unusually involved, I think. I mean, some investors are really hands off. Um, so we took a board member from Homebrew, and we've had two board meetings since we raised the round. Those have both been extremely valuable. That marked like major inflection points for our company because yeah. Not only is it good practice to prepare for a board meeting, even if it's just like the two founders plus an investor, it forces you to like, look at your trajectory, not just like the current point in time, but like, what's our momentum? where do we expect to be in a couple of months? What are we working on right now? You're looking forward to the future and actually presenting that to an outsider and doing a little bit of a gut check of the health of your company. And that is actually a very valuable practice, even for a very early stage company, Mm -hmm. even when it's just, you know, you're one investor who like, you know, really well. And so I am really grateful that we did that. And we definitely recommend that like, even if you don't have another board member, have a board meeting every quarter, every couple of quarters and just invite some outsiders who you trust and who, you know, you can do like a deep dive on, you know, what's going on with your company and get feedback. Um, and that was really, really helpful for us.
0: So what would you say? Is there something that you view as a, a big challenge for your the company or your business next?
1: Oh, sure. Yeah. i <laughs> <laughs> By no means are we like out of the woods. Yeah. I think everything is a challenge. I mean, our first major milestone, getting to 100,000 users, when we crossed that, felt like we'd never crossed that. And then we did. And now we're like, okay, now we have to get to 500,000 users in <laughs> basically the same period of time. So it's this process of like constantly setting more and more ridiculous and aggressive mm-hmm. goals for yourself.
0: So to get to dig into that a little bit, like what is that timeframe that you're setting out? to reach 500,000? It's on the order of a quarter or six months rather than years, or what's Probably the Probably six magnitude? months, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: some, somewhere between six months to a year.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: the thing that's kind of scary, right, is that you kind of always want that growth to be accelerating. So the numbers get kind of impossibly big at some point, like your mind can't even comprehend it. But then by that point, like what you've already built has so much momentum. And Mm it's such an asset. I think that's the thing that's kind of hard to wrap your mind around that the audience that you're building and like what you're putting into the product has its own life force that kind of contributes to your momentum as a company. Mm -hmm. So if you're like thinking forward six months and you're like, okay, we want to double or triple the size of our user base, then how in the world are we going to do that? But the increasing size of your user base is like giving you lift. That it's almost hard to quantify. If you have like a really, really tight growth model and business model, then you you can quantify it. But Mm -hmm. some of it is just like 25% of our growth is from word of mouth. And that's very difficult to quantify. And we don't even know what's happening. This is just this human thing, right? Like it's the brand achieving some momentum or some mind share. And like those can be really soft milestones and really soft channels that you don't Mm -hmm. necessarily know where that's coming from. It's like some magic factor. Mm -hmm. But yeah, quantifying growth and quantifying your business Mm -hmm. were probably two of the things I came in knowing the least about when I started on this venture. And that's the thing that I feel like I was forced as an entrepreneur to learn Mm -hmm. and really understand Mm -hmm. to help our business be successful.
0: Now, who do you have on the team now who's focused on that. It, it's Is it me just and you Sarah, two? the founders? Yeah. yeah. We
1: try to let everyone else focus on the product. Yeah. And I would like to focus on the product more than I do right now. But I think that may be like a pipe dream. <laughs> like it's probably always going to be the case. I'm going to be like making the business work. But everyone else, like we try to, to let them have the space to do things like make sure our service doesn't go down and the apps don't have crashing bugs right. and
0: right.
1: Um, people are who are interfacing with our software are having a good experience. Mm-hmm
0: but you haven't yet brought on someone to work on growth or that kind of no. thing. It's something that you've you've done yourselves.
1: Yes, and I think appropriately yeah. so. I think mm-hmm. that is a skill that founders need to have and yeah. you just like anyone who starts a business, like this is your job now and yeah. it's something you need to learn to do. It'd be dangerous yeah. to outsource it, I think.
0: Yeah, I agree. But can you currently envision a time where that might make sense for you as a company? To not outsource it, but to bring someone on in that role? Or is that something that you as co-founders for the foreseeable future anyway want to have responsibility for?
1: I would say yes, but I actually don't know if I think the answer is yes. I think that mm-hmm. as we continue to grow, I would feel more successful if we got to a point where everyone on the com- in the company was working on growth. Mm-hmm. In some fashion, like Mm -hmm. it was known that this is our primary goal for the foreseeable future and down to like your individual tasks for the day as an engineer or designer or whatever, like you understand like how what you're doing contributes to that goal and impacts that goal. I would prefer that to having like someone who thinks about growth and then everyone else doesn't have to. Mm -hmm. I think it's so important for us right now and will be for a long time as like a small to mid-stage company, that I think it's important that everyone learn a little bit about it and be prepared to contribute to it.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing your story and your challenges and where you're (laughs) at now with me. I, I really appreciate it. And it's been a pleasure talking to you and I wish you the best.
1: Yeah, thanks so much.
0: If people wanna follow along with Winnie and you, what's the best way they can get in touch with you or follow along?
1: Well, you can check us out at uh, winnie.com <laughs> or search for winnie in either the App Store or Google Play Store. You will find us there. Definitely download it and check it out. Um, if you have a child in your life, I promise it will be useful to you. You don't even have to be a parent. Also, great for aunts and uncles. And you can follow us on Twitter. It's at winnie and um, on Facebook as at winnie labs.
0: Now, I meant to ask you when you were starting out, you didn't get all of these winnie names, did you? <laughs>
1: So Winnie was such a lucky name. Like, in some ways, that was quite lucky. The app was definitely available. There was no Winnie app on either platform, which was great. Winnie.com was owned by a European company that was no longer using it because they had changed their name. So we were able to buy it from them. It was quite a negotiation process because they were not a super technical company they were like a paper making company and so they were a little afraid of what it would mean for them to give us this like defunct domain Mm -hmm. like in case they were still using it for something and they were just a little nervous about it um but we were able to get it it took time um but it was well worth it and the twitter handle we also had to buy bought it from the person who had it
0: Well, it feels like you lucked out because (laughs) it feels like such a common name to be able to bring all that stuff together and get the dot com and the Twitter handle and all that stuff.
1: You would think you would think it was not actually as bad. Like, yes, we definitely did get lucky, but I think it was just not a name that was Mm -hmm. really being used by anyone. It turned out to be also kind of a funny, not a growth hack. It's not a growth hack, but we definitely do have people who find us because they searched for themselves like people who are (laughs) named Winnie search for themselves and then they find Winnie Mm -hmm. we even had a review on the app store I love this this woman gave us a five-star review and she was like I don't have kids yet and my name is Winnie so I thought I'd check this app out but it's actually really great and I'll definitely use it when I have kids (laughs) (laughs) and it's like one of the reviews that shows up on our app store Uh oh that's funny my name is Winnie and I endorse this app. <laughs> and then on Facebook, we'll see a lot of people when they encounter our brand, like they'll tag their friends named Winnie. Mm-hmm. So it's it's actually worked out in a sense.
0: Well, uh, thank you again, Ann. I really appreciate it.
1: Thanks very much. It's great to be here.
0: Uh, this episode was produced and edited by Tom Obarski. You can find show notes for this episode at giantrobots.fm slash 257. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. We are experienced designers and developers who turn your idea into the right product. With local studios in Boston, San Francisco, New York, London, Austin, Raleigh, and Washington, D.C., let's build something great together.